Greetings, ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact, written by Ralts Bloodthorn, which is available on both Royal Road and HFY. The links for them will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. First Contact, Chapter 40 Natrak was born on one of the inner systems, from a factory world that produced everything from trivid systems to tank parts to diapers to pesticide. Natrak had known that he had two choices in life, either start working at the factory floor after six years of school, get good grades and get high enough in education to qualify as a manager, or become a citizen. His father had died on the factory line. High-pressure chambers had thrown a bolt. It had shot through eight Ulvenstren on the line and almost turned them inside out. His mother had been informed that she had priority if she wanted her husband's job, and that the rest of the living block had been informed that eight new positions had opened up. His mother had died in the way to work, struck by an executive's limo who killed her instantly. Natarak and his siblings were pulled for the damage to the limo. They were already in debt, and Natarak and his three siblings still had two years of schooling to do before they were adults. That meant that the time in the corporate crash, which they would be pulled for once they began working, by the time that school ended, they had already each owed six years of pay to the corporate financial agency. That meant no further schooling, and they were expected to go to work at the factories. Nyatrak was sent into the orbital refinery, where he learned new meanings of Hal. His little sister was put in a pleasure dome and took her own life after a year. His brother, hatched at the same time, was killed when he fell from a catwalk. There were no rainings, and into the metal grinder. Nyatrak and his brother were pulled for the idle time, then cleaned expense. His brother died a year later, when he had that he was staying and suffered a spontaneous rupture getting 243 of the 600 workers, the entire amount who was not on shift. Nyatrak decided that the only way that he could get old enough to see his own eggs hatch was to try and become a citizen. During the recreation time, he went into the offices and took the tests. It took three months, using up his entire recreation period each day, and his supervisors mocked him and wrote him up for poor company spirit, docking his pay. At the end of it, the citizen office gave him two choices, corporate security or unified military forces. He chose the military. The choice between being dumped on a random planet and passing the military testing drove him, and he knew that he wouldn't be automatically selected as an officer like those in the unified civilized species. He was classified as a neo-sapien species. But he studied, and he studied hard. He took the tests, exercised in his free time to score higher, and he did everything asked of him without a single complaint. Where their beings of the unified civil species would complain and refuse to do work or training, Nyatrek did everything asked of him without complaint. He watched these civilized classmates get testing scores that allowed them to be whatever they wanted. Even officers, the rest of the Neo-Sapiens, were offered such things as military equivalent of janitor or secretary or bootlicker. The instructor checked his scores twice. He had something different. Power armor pilot, air mobile. He took it. 
The first day, his shower stripped him off his feathers, his beak was removed, an extremely short prosthetic graft allowed him to breathe correctly and keep his mouth and sinuses from being mucus covered the whole time, and he received a feeding port. His claws were removed, a data pad was sunk into the base of his skull, just like everyone else. What followed was a year of what everyone would consider grooding training. But Nyatrak had worked in her orbital yards for four years, in a vac suit made up of more patches than original material, eating thin gruel and living in hams without gravity. His species were flightless bird-lizard hybrids, but the small part of his brain remembered flying came alive during training. The trainers watched him excel where most of the others failed out. In the end, out of 1,400 beings, he was one of 120 who finished. He found it ironic that his contract was purchased at great expense by the same corporation that had charged him since robots turned his egg to make sure that he was smoothly warmed. Even more amusing to Nightrek, the company could not garnish his wages and the unified military forces would pay the entire debt after two years of service, which had been swollen by the deaths of his siblings and the fact that the company charged his cost of training and replacement and replacements for the first year's wages. Even more amusing was when the executives rioted in the system's most high and sent the unified military forces he had purchased contracts for. Nitrox squad mates cheered him on as he executed the executive who had ran down his mother as she walked down the sidewalk, crossing three lanes of oncoming traffic to kill her as she was walking with an arm for groceries. Nitrock had spent nearly 50 years in the unified military forces, his debt long paid, earning officer rank but being sent to schools, getting longevity therapy and his contract price increasing. At 20 years, he was entitled to 10% of his contract fee, with his share rising by 0.5% every year, with bonuses for schooling and rank. He knew beings who had come from places just like he did that earned 120% of their contract fee and bonuses. He always turned down selecting his own duty station and took the 0.05% contract rate increase every five years. He piloted a single-man recon, an air cavalry suit capable of Mach 3, in standard atmosphere at standard gravity and armed well enough that it could destroy a building with ease. His enhanced strength meant that he could tear open vehicles with his bare hands and stomp from his armored foot would crush the engine of a limo. Now a truck thought of himself and his men as hardened combat troops. When the word went out that the precursor machines were advancing steadily towards the world that he was stationed on to enforce security of the factories, he was not worried. He and his men were the best air mobile unit in the entire unified military fleet. Then... The Terrans arrived. Nyatrak didn't think anything of them at first. They called themselves the V-Corps, Old Metal, and wore the markings of a blue pentagon cut in five separate triangles with a border. Their fleet carriers was 5th Fleet USCSG, Old Metal, and their units were the 18th Air Wing, Atomic. None of that impressed Nyatrak. He was the 12th Air Mobile, the corporate military force, outfitted with the best armor, best weapons, and ammunition the unified military fleet could provide. His men were the toughest, with the most experience, and he drilled them ruthlessly, known as Old Iron Feathers. The Terrans had often to conduct joint training operations, and Nyatrak's supervisor turned them down. He could see no reason to expend military corporate resources for practice. The precursors had been stopped in many systems. They would be stopped here. 
The Terrans dug in, creating interlocking firebases, forward operating bases, logistics bases. The interlocking and trained with the various parts of the V-Corps, old metal, undergoing training constantly. Nightruck wasn't impressed by the Terran tech. It seemed slow, clunky, and only seemed to fire lasers. He wasn't impressed by the vaunted Terran Confederate Army services. In briefings, he was told that the precursors would follow standard, most logical attack patterns, arrive at a jump boundary, sweep inwards, forcing the 5th Fleet USCSG Old Metal to engage them at a range in the outer systems. Reports of the precursor machines being able to jump inside the boundary were anti-Unified Civilized Council propaganda and was ignored as such. The Unified Naval Fleet, corporate, would support 5th Fleet stopping any breakouts towards the inner system. His troops, non-space capable, would be on the primary manufacturing world and support combat operations to protect corporate assets, of which the population was not a part of it. The battle plan was transmitted to the TCAS. The TCAS AI rejected it. Nightruck had been in the officer's system command and watched the system's highmost face when the TCAS AI had put a laughing face emoji over the entire data plan and kicked it back. Nightruck felt personally insulted that even when he put his own battle plan for Air Mobile, it was rejected. No emojis, but still rejected. The AI refused to answer questions, just stated that the plan was incomplete and inadequate and the AI would not forward this biological superiors in pre-command. The system I most was reminded that the Terran Fleet Command that he was in charge, to which the AI simply put up its wallpaper. The system's high most was still holding a focus group meeting when the alarms went off. Nyatrek was a professional. He excused himself, taking only an hour, which was a borderline rude, and headed for his command post. He donned his armor and rushed into the situation room to find the red lights flashing and his men standing carefully craft a corporate-approved plan that had gone so wrong. The precursors had arrived. The rumors had turned out to be true. A massive weight of metal slammed into the system, twelve goliaths at the outer planets, twenty at the midpoint of the system, and fifteen in the green zones. The ten between the first planet and the star, as Nyatruck watched the system scanners report that five goliaths were heading for each world, with the moons each having one approach. The goliaths were all shedding jotuns, devastators, demolishers, juggernauts, and other craft that even as they approached. Nyatruck ordered the air mobile base VI, the best corporate money could buy, to run predictive combat analysis. Hours passed and the 12th Air Mobile waited patiently for the war codes for the armor to be transmitted. As he watched, his men waiting, a devastator landed only 15 miles away, crushing a city of 2.2 million under its bulk. The predictive combat analysis array double-checked with the overloaded system defense VI, waiting nearly 12 minutes. And finally, had its plans approved, it loaded the attack profiles into the power armor of the Air Mobile unit and gave them the war codes for the armor. Nitrek and his men launched only three minutes after the orbital missile strike managed to penetrate the ground defenses and destroy his base, his logistics, his support units. The 12th Air Mobile was on its own. Their orders from the system's defense VI was processing data that was up to two hours old, had them going against a devastator that the predictive VI assured them did not have its anti-air, ground-to-air, or air-to-air, or point-defense systems running or interlocked yet. They flew at 34,000 feet and the max ceiling. The Nyatruck to look down at the chaos below. 
Massive, daring combat robots vomiting nuclear fire from their jaws, fired particle beams from their shoulder-mounted cannons, and scores of heavy missiles from their chests. Filling the air with a high-tech death, super-stadium-sized tanks rushed towards the Devastator. As Snara Truck watched, nearly half a dozen exited the sea and began pouring fire into the Devastator. Huge, combat robots engaged precursor machines and the hundreds of missiles the precursors were firing at the Terrans and the city that Narak was supposed to protect was being cut down by a mathematically precise air defense system. What are you doing? Sudden voice asked. You're not interlocked. Who is this? This is the most high of the 12th air mobile combat team. I demand you identify yourself, Nartrak answered. You can call me Oracle 872. I was assigned to you to try interlock you into the bat tech net. The voice answered, you are in the meat grinder zone. Our battle computers have predicted that this is the way to get closest to the machine. We shall strike at it when disable its guns. Nitrek, unable to keep a sneer from his voice. Yeah, you do that. You're gonna die and you're about to pass under Jin class precursor. That's an air superiority unit and you're blocking the shots from the Dynachrome Brigade. File a combat plan, please. The voice said, Under which authority? Nyatrek snapped. Terran Confederate Armed Forces were responsible for the defense of the system and the planets, the voice oracle said. We are responsible for the defense, Nyatrek stated. Look, buddy, no offense, but you're wearing search and rescue gear, not combat gear. If the thermal bloom from the Dynochrome Brigade shot doesn't knock you out of the air, the gen will. The oracle snapped. Drop to 200 meters, get under the point defense scanners, and I'll try hook you into the bat tack net, Oracle said. Nitrack almost choked at his outrage. His men had the best equipment money could buy and the unified military forces could provide. I will do no such thing. You are ordered to drop to 200 meters and file the battle plan. Any deviation from these orders can result in friendly fire and unsupported enemy contact. Oracle's voice was stuffy. Get those SAR suits out of there. You can't do anything but get in the way. I will do no such thing, Nitrack answered. Then file the battle plan, Oracle answered. You have about 15 seconds before you get in range of the Jin's guns. I will not. The precursor trick. Disengage from my network, Nitrack ordered. Your funeral, the Oracle answered. I loaded an evasion plan. Use it. Oracle out. Artrak ignored it, ordering his men to halt formation. Who do the Terrans think they are? His battle plan had been formulated by the best predictive analysis we either money could. The world shattered. The Dynachrome Brigade held their fire, tried to provide point defense system for the 12th Air Mobile Wing, held off their fire as long as they could. Nitrak's men lasted just over 11 seconds, mainly because of the constant training saved their lives for the first 5 seconds. Nitrak forwarded the Oracle's evasion plan, and some of them got to least load the NCOM and EW profiles. The Jin raked them out of the sky like a flock of birds. Decades of experience allowed Nitrak to land, his upper intakes blown away, missing a stabilizer wing, and the point defense ripped away. And missing his right-hand micro-missile launcher, he got to his feet, took two steps forward, unlimbering his magnetic accelerated cannon, and brought up his senses. Everything was hash. The only thing that worked was optical, and the smoke and haze cut that down to only a mile even with the armor's enhancement package. A round pounced off the arm of the armored warbog that Nightrack could barely see with. A flash of sparks and thunderous impact. 
and blew open Nitruck's armor, rupturing his abdominal wall, sending shrapnel into his armor, into his torso, and throwing him nearly 50 meters. He landed in a crater. He lay there for a long moment, staring up at the sky. It looked like dueling beams of light. Immobile suits like his, only chunkier, with a heavier feeling, roared overhead, less than 10 meters off the ground. Hey, you're alive, Oracle's voice sounded. Nitruck opened the comlink but could only groan. His diaphragm was ruptured and one of his lungs collapsed, not to mention his hollow bones in his chest were broken. Okay, hang tight, I'm sending you and the 23 men that survived medical care. Your suits don't have onboard systems to handle the kind of damage you all took. Oracle said, you know that your med kit's drugs are more than less water, right? Your supplier ripped you off. Nitruck just groaned. One of the massive combat robots stepped over him. Okay, helps on the way. I had him drop some. Just stay put. Stay with me, champ. I'm putting on Medcom online. It's a VI, but he's good, all right, the Oracle said. A new voice broke in. Hello, Commander. I'm Nightingale 6021, a medical VI. Let me just access your armor systems and there we go, the voice said. Nitruck watched his space shield cracked open and depowered suddenly come back on. It displayed his armor's status, his vitals, a scan of his body and his bodysuit. Okay, you're going to need outside help, the voice said. I've got someone coming to help you right now. You may start to feel dizzy. That's not from the blood loss. It's a bioweapon, two chemical weapons and shock. Don't worry, your new friend has the counter-agents to all of that, and I'm going to shift your armor into trauma position for your species. Nitruck just groaned as the armor suddenly stretched out its arms and put his legs in optimal position and locked joints. There you go. Stay with me, champ, okay? Here comes your new friend. I'm going to stay on the line, but you'll be okay. I've got the medical retrieval unit heading your way, Nightingale said. It paused for a moment. Man, going out there in an SR gear is freaking brave. Nitruck wanted to protest, but yeah, he was getting dizzy and feeling like he was burning up. His mouth felt dry and he kept seeing streaks of color. When the little robot slipped over the lip of the crater, Nitruck giggled even though he wanted to scream. It moved down the crater wall like a liquid, staying low, emitting no signals. He watched it move up to the face and appear. It was feline, long whiskers that were glowing faintly. As he watched, it eject half a dozen tubes. The air filled with chaff, micro-prism cloud, and EM passed through nanites. The small bot, a four-legged with a tail that stuck up into the air, moved up. He felt it brush his guts with its whiskers and then lick something inside of him. The pain went away. It began kneading his intestines, pushing them back into his rupture, hacking up some kind of blue foam into the wound. Nightrack didn't feel like panicking. He liked the little robot. He'd always liked little robots, but this one he liked especially. He knew it wasn't hurting him, and his intestines pushed back into the muscle. The blue foam soaked up his guts, and he could suddenly breathe easier. He hawked up some more stuff, and then some stuff mottled down brown and black, like the dirt of the crater that he was in, and he was in belted harden over his wound. He trusted the little robot, liked it a lot. They were friends, after all, and friends took care of each other. The little robot sprouted fur, short hairs, and moved under his unresponsive hand. He discovered that his hand had was moving, petting the warm, soft fur, and it began to make subsonic rumble that made him feel better. Every few minutes, it would deploy more chaff and cloaking. 
A large armored vehicle pulled up, then two warbogs with red crescents on one side and a crescent of a red cross on the other jumped out. They grabbed him as the robot moved to his chest and carried him to the vehicle, which was firing weapons through gun ports. They got him in and he could see the sum of his men in cradles in there which were very little robot on their chest. We're over full. This is the last of them. Get us out of here. One of the Borgs yelled in an audible range. Another leaned over night track, hooking wires and tubes into the exposed flesh, using laser cutters to slice away his beautiful armor. Taking SER gear out there. Hey, that took balls, buddy, Med Borg said. We'll get you back to Medcom, get you fixed up, and you'll be back to putting SER and saving lives by tomorrow. Nightruck fell asleep before he could answer. When he woke up less than eight hours later, his body was fixed as if he had never been injured. He found out that the corporate military council had attempted to flee the system and that the entire system was under the authority of the general of the V-Corps old metal. The unified military services were either dead or had attempted to flee and were under arrest. Nightrack didn't know whether to be ashamed or not. Not for his men, not for himself, but for the action of the unified military service who had thrown men like 12th Air Mobile Wing away as if they'd had tried to flee their own lives. He sat with his men in a dining facility and listened to his men wondered, did it have to happen the way it did? He knew the answer, no. The Unified Military Council determined that the failure of the Unified Military Armored Forces at the Battle of Ludemark 624 was the fault of the Terran Military Forces, who had only presented unreasonable system defense plans and refused to follow the orders of the system's highmost. Unified Military Council has determined that the Terran Military Forces Command is, at best, incompetent, and have put forth a demand that all Terran Military Forces to be put under local command rather than joint or autonomous commands. V-Corp's Old Metal Report System under heavy attack, over 50 Goliaths and supporting ships attacking all planets and facilities. Local forces outmatched, ungunned. We'll rearm, retrain and return to combat what local forces we can. More integration with local forces is recommended to all old metal units. Civilian casualties are to be expected to be moderate to high despite best efforts. Suggest deployment of Nagasaki-class drill shelters for civilians in all sectors as corporate shelters exist only on paper and tax forms. We will hold the line. Nothing follows. End of chapter. First Contact Chapter 41 the room was full of tension as the Crete walked in. He was proud in his uniform and rank, the highmost of the heavy armor division, proud of the way that everyone turned and nodded to him. He was unstoppable bulwark that the enemy could not breach, the thundering guns that destroyed the enemy at range, and friend to the infantry. He had fought on a dozen worlds, commanded tanks since he was barely an adult, and had risen to exalted rank from the Neostapiens. What is the issue? Akrit asked the highmost of the infantry. He was one of the unified civilized races, a four-hoofed, four-armed, six-eyed Lanktalian, with mouth tendrils, jowls, and inflatable crests. The highmost for the infantry named Mulawan was the same race as most of the highmosts except for Akrit and the old Iron Feathers. But Akrit demanded respect as the commander of the armored hover tanks that weighed nearly 150 tons each. 
The Terran Confederate Army forces have arrived. They call themselves Old Metal and V-Corps, and we of the Unified Military Council are trying to discern just how their chain of command and order of battle works. Mulawin answered, his tentacles tight with anxiety as his crests implated with anger. So far, they've refused to turn over command to our system defenses highmost, citing that Terran military forces are always under the command of the Confederacy commanders, never local governments. This is outrageous, even if you disregard the fact that the Unified Civilized Races Council is far older than the Confederacy with a larger population. These are our systems, not theirs. They should respect our claim and turn over the command to those units. Hmm... Akrit answered, staring at the hollow tank showing the system. Akrit didn't argue. Tanks were precision instruments of mass destruction that required skilled, dedicated, educated, and experienced commanders to avoid any major problems. If the Terrans were so fearsome as the reputation whispered about in the barracks pods, he could understand their unwillingness to turn over command of their war machines. That's a lot of ships, Akrit thought to himself. They were already deployed and Akrit appreciated the tight formations, the smooth, coordinated way that the Terran fleets moved, and how their first instinct was to identify weak points and shore them up. Do they have armor? Akrit asked. They claim to have armored units. They plan on landing mixed units, something called bolos, are kept separate from the other armored units. They claim that the mere dozen bolos will work and hold the machines at bay in this world with the weight of the heavy metal that they're landing. Nightrack, the old Iron Feathers himself, whispered, I feel for you, having to deal with such arrogance. Admiral, I must insist you put your forces under my command, the system highmost was saying in one corner of the holotank. No, sir, I'll happily interlock your planning with my own, but it'll take time to catch you up on the speed of our capabilities, much less our way of making war. If you would, sir, transmitting your battle plan to us will allow us to work seamlessly with your forces. The Terran was saying, he was represented merely by a pentagon sliced into five blue triangles, surrounded by a black pentagon on five white background. As system highmost, it is I who should be deciding the war plan, the Lanak Talon said, his tentacles trembling in rage. You know nothing of the star system, the Terran Admiral merely gave a sigh, which the translator reported as a sound of frustration and resignation or relief. System Highmost, I'm going to explain this to you one more time. My forces are everything from parasite carriers to high-penetration parasite vessels and heavy bomber parasite vessels. I have troops, landing transports, portable logistics spaces, field medical hospitals, everything I need to carry out a defense of the system. The Terran Admiral paused for a moment. To put it plainly, System Hindmost, I don't need you any more than I need burrs in my silky soft fox's tail. I'll tell you to coordinate with the Battle Tactical Net Artificial Intelligence until you can come to grips with reality. Hello, I am Xerxes331, the digital, artificial, sentient. I'm here too, the voice said as the Terran commander's icon winked out and a new one appeared that looked the same but was overlaid on the system mat. An AI? I don't want to talk to a collection of wires and circuits. Get some sentient back on this call at once, the system highmost yelled. What? I'm rude. I'm a fully sentient being who chose to be in the military, not some hash crash trailer made VI. You apologize right this second, the new voice said. I most certainly will not. Return that arrogant and rude Terran commander to this call at once, your posturing computer program. 
The system, highmost, roared out, his crests and plating raising up to his rear hooves and pawing at the air and his forward ones. I am not a computer program. I am a digital sentience classified as Homo digitalis. The voice, Xerxes, answered stuffily. Stop arguing with me. I am the system I most, and you will respect me. You jumped up answering service. Now put the Terran I most back online. The Lanactalan insisted. Due to your repeated violations of the Terran legal code regarding digital sapiens, I must now inform you that all contact between our two offices shall only be done through writing. Please submit your battle plan for integration within 12 standard hours. Xerxes 331 out. The icon vanished, replaced by an electronic inbox as a timer. You get someone back on this line this moment! The system highmost roared at the communication technician. <clears throat> May I be excused? Agreed asked. The system highmost turned and stared at Agreed, but he had stared into the barrels of the enemy's plasma cannons. He wasn't perturbed by the system's highmost's glare. Yes, it is doubtful that your armored units will be needed. The system's highmost harumphed. A Crete saluted, turned, and left thinking. Actual sapient AIs, without them going insane and homicidal. Ships capable of accelerating far above what I've seen out of our own fleet of vessels. I need information, and the system highs most of this race, too arrogant to see that his six eyes show him. A Crete thought to himself as he climbed into his stuff car. He mumbled to his driver to take him back to the armor command and leaned back in his seat grooming his closely shaved fur with his hands as he thought. Crete went over his forces, 2,000 heavy tanks, 3,000 medium tanks, 5,000 light tanks. Well, he didn't have control over the armored personnel carriers. He still watched over the nearly 10,000 of them. At best, the corporation could buy from the Unified Military Service. Our equipment is purchased from the Unified Military Services. While they may be the best money can buy, the UMS only produces what it sells the most. Do the Terrans approach war and military in the same way? If they do not, are they required to each purchase their own vehicles or does the corporate government provide for them? How has this changed their approach to major warfare, war material, strategic and tactics? Crete wondered to himself, he triggered his implant to give him a VR desk as requested and comlinks to the Terran Battle Tactical Network, using his own officer's ID code with the messages. He was surprised to get back with the code five minutes, and even more surprised to find that the VI had been assigned to him as a liaison due to the fact that the system highmost had not approved the linkage. Sigh, he disabled his vest and used his implants to connect to the linkage. Greetings, gentle beings. I'm Zukov442, armored vehicle command liaison. A pleasant voice with a curt sounding accent answered, Who do I have the pleasure of communicating with? I'm a Crete, armored highmost unified military forces attached to the Customet Corporation, a Crete said carefully. The voice sounded old and very formal. I am pleased to make your acquaintance. A fellow armor commander, this is good to hear. I am responsible for interlocking your battle plans with the battle plan of the Terran Confederate Armed Services assigned to protect this area. The voice said. Agreed noticed a slight sound of what was interpreted as pleasure in the other's voices. When you are in a secure area, we will go over necessary information. Do you prefer artificial sentience or physical beings to liaise with? Creep thought for a moment. He was pretty sure that Zukov was an artificial intelligence, and from the speech mannerisms and tone, Creep was pretty sure it was an old one. Can I have both? Honored Zukov, Creep asked. 
I will assign an armored liaison. May I attach a maintenance unit to your forces in order to ensure that you are fully combat ready? I mean no disrespect to your current logistics, but I have found that what the High Command thinks a soldier needs to fight a war and what is really needed are two different things, Zukov said. A creaked barked laughed. But honored sir, I allocated exactly as many plasma rounds as there are enemy vehicles. How can we be out of ammunition? Exactly, sir, Zukov answered. Am I to understand this is not your first combat engagement as a force leader? No, honored Zukov, it is not. It is my experience that the battles are won or lost by the logistics corps rather than what the commanders will admit, Ikrit said, smoothing his fur with his legs. My own biological ancestors, the once living being I was templated of originally, would certainly agree with that. He lived prior to our current post-scarcity existence. Zukov said, to coin a phrase from ancient terror, for the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. I do not understand the reference, Agreed stated. The AI uploaded a chain of events that started with the loss of a horseshoe nail due to a poor blacksmithing, resulting in the loss of the shoe, which resulted in the laming of the horse, which caused the rider to fall out of formation, which then caused a hole in the formation, or collapsing into a loss of a kingdom. A second one referred to an ancient cavalry riders keeping a nail in their pockets to spike enemy guns that overran, and one rider did not have a nail, and so the cannon was used to knock off that rider's cannons, resulting in a loss of the battle and the death of the hypemost. I shall frame this and put it in my office, agreed thought to himself. He had lost tanks to lack of bearings or hoverfan systems. Once the corporation had skimped on the super lubricant and the entire brigade's worth of tanks had their engines and turbofan seeds up, turning the tanks into nothing more than heavily armored and armed emplacements. When I see your, how do you refer to it, heavy metals battle honors, Pete answered. Of course, sir. Zukov answered. What came up next was a long list of not only where the V-Corps, old metal, had fought, but where the officers had fought, where the subcomponents had fought, and where the model and equipment had seen action. Agreed noticed that not only was there a written list, but he could view the battles either as a strategic map, or VR, or EVR if he chose. The links to the whole volumes of action reports, historical analysis, and more. He was forced to leave most of the information in his office computer's buffer. His own system, remarkably, would take nearly two hours to save all the information to local storage. The Crete wasn't surprised. There was nearly 8,000 years of data, thousands of battle scores of war. The Crete decided to go backwards in chronological order. Sir Lieutenant Colonel Hodgson and his staff are making descent into your unit area. Where will you permit them to enter? They would prefer to be waiting for you, sir. Zukov said, breaking into Akrit's examination of the third battle of Numerous Star, where the V-Corps, old metal, broke the back of the Kosolian Empire and armored units made up of heavy metal. The tactics were much different than the unified military fleet, who preferred head-on engagements with minimal support that used least resources. The battle he was studying was a whirling mass of thrust, counter-thrust, flanking, rear-marching, close air support, infantry, ambushes, orbital missile fire. It looked to Crete more like an entire war, rather than the last battle of the war. No one unit took the honor and glory. It was a group effort and even included space, navy, orbital fire. Glory went to all the banners. 
Permission granted, and thank you for informing me, honored Zukov, Akrit said. He closed his VR tactical overview of the battle and leaned back again. The Terrans made war much different than the unified military forces. The unified corporal council had long ago made a capital crime to target manufacturing or industrial facilities as part of warfare. Yet half of what the Terrans did seemed to revolve around protecting or destroying those assets. The civilian workers were quite often not legitimate targets, unlike the council's rules. The Terrans seemed to put effort towards avoiding civilian casualties to the point that there were multiple treaties regarding it. The unified military forces also put the units piecemeal into battle, only committing additional units when it was apparent that the force was approaching 10% of field casualties. The Terrans, however, seemed to have the entire military force interlocked into their planning, even if a unit was holding position and waiting for reinforce other units or exploit any sudden gap in defenses. From what he had seen, Terrans would also fight to the last vehicle, robot or sentient being. No 10% casualties. They fought till the other side withdrew, surrendered or was destroyed. The 10% rule had been in place in the Unified Military Forces and the Unified Corporate Security for so long that some commanders struck the colors of 9% and a few even at 8%. Ikrit found himself wondering just when the Terran morale broke. Or did it break? Ikrit's hovercraft settled down and Ikrit noted three heavily armed and armored dropships sitting on the airfield normally used for aircraft and air units. Each dropship had four massive armored bipedes and the guard, weapons held in hand, cannons deployed. The dropships had the symbol of a triangle around the cannon bisected by a lightning bolt. A massive armored bipeds had the same symbols over the right and left shoulders, and paint obvious against the chrome. Honored Zukov, where is the Terran liaison? Agreed asked as he climbed out. They are, sir, awaiting your pleasure to the door of the Tactical Operations Command, as they have not been given permission to enter such a sensitive area, sir. The AR responded. I'll notify the guard that they may enter, Akrit answered, strangely grateful at the courtesy. He signaled the security forces and the limited security AI and the Terrans could enter the command center. Security force being saluted Akrit as he entered the command center, making a beeline for the Tactical Operations Command. When he entered, he saw his first Terran. He wasn't sure what to think. Lean came to mind, focused, with the eyes forward facing his intent was another. They had their hair on their heads, cut short like a Crete's fur, which a Crete immediately appreciated. They all had cybernetic linkages on their temples. Five had cybernetic eyes surrounded by metal. One had a cybernetic arm that appeared to a Crete to be more functional than a normal cybernetic prosthetic, which would barely have tactile feedback. They all wore what looked to be photo-doppel camouflage, which kept making the outline slightly blurry. Three of the eight bipeds carried sidearms, while the other five carried some type of rifle slung across their back. Attention! One of the Terrans barked, turning to give a Crete an odd salute. The others all went ramrod straight, hands down to the sides and heels together, staring, not at a Crete, but directly ahead. Tell them at ease, Zukov whispered. At ease, Agreed said and watched all of their postures relax at the same time. Well, discipline does not mean combat effective, Agreed wasn't it to himself. I am Lieutenant Colonel Hargison. This is Major Allison, my executive officer, the Terran said, introducing each one in turn. The master of the lower grades was present also. Agreed noted that they were all very formal in their posture, attentive speech and address. Agreed 
was informed that the maintenance unit, apparently something called the Call Support Command or COSCOM, was landing to assist with maintenance of the Terran's heavy metal. Akrit was startled that their maintenance unit was the size of three of his own divisions. They had ten times the number of beings in their maintenance unit than Akrit's entire armored host. Partway through, Hodgson stopped, pausing the hollow display which showed Akrit the breakdown on the unit structure of the V-Core. He looked at Akrit. Sir, if I may ask, which of your units close considered heavy metal? The LTC asked, his body language seeming distressed at Akrit. Akrit answered, firm, and his belief that his hover tanks were impressive. These units, the LTC asked, bringing up the image of the heavy tank on the hollow display. Agreed admired it as slowly rotated, 90mm bore heavy plasma cannon, three coaxial rapid-fire plasma guns and two point defense systems, and six 40mm mortars with nearly a dozen shots for each in them. Each tank was 150 tons of layered armor, each hover tank two gravity engines, a crew of four and a tank high-most, the gunner, the EU, the MCOM, COM, the driver and all trained to high efficiency. Most crews with hundreds of hours in their tanks, rolling doom who any other dead faced them. Yes, Coscom Highmost, Akit said, giving him an equivalent of a sigh of pleasure at the sight of his craft. The Terrans went perfectly still and silent for a moment and Akrit wondered if a predator had entered the room. Is there a problem? Akrit asked through his umplant. It would be better if my biological counterpart explained it, armored Highmost. Zukov carefully answered. If there's a problem, rub my muzzle in it and try to use it to comb the fur on my buttocks, Akrit said, putting his best command voice on. I feel, perhaps, that I should let you do a comparison, the LTC said, his voice grave. He made a motion, dividing the hollow tank in half, and made a tossing motion. What appeared in the hollow tank was an absolute nightmare. Over 2,800 tons, treads, graviton assistance, main cannon with a bore of a diameter of over 300 millimeters that appeared to be compressed nuclear blast into directed energy slug that it would impact with the force between, at a discretion of the commanders, 11 kilotons all the way up to 22.5 megatons. It was capable of a shot every 5 to 11 seconds depending on the skill of the loader and how hot the chamber had gotten compared to the 15 seconds for his own gun. Worse, the main gun was capable of mission-flexible munitions, which had a dizzying array. Its armor was thicker than all the armor in Akrit's tanks combined and made up a wall-steel laminate. The rest of the weapons were point-defense, mortars, vertical launch rocket systems, anti-infantry weapons. May I? Akrit asked, moving towards the holotank and raising one paw towards the one drivetrain specification box. Of course, armor high most, the LTC said. Akrit touched the box and watched the data spill out. It could move under countergrav, but was designated to move on the treads for a multitude of reasons, half of them psychological. It was capable of burst of speed of up to 180 kilometers per hour and sustained speed of 70 kilometers an hour, which is what expected to do battle at. It could fire inside its own turning circle during a 90-degree turn. It carried the same crew as the Crete's tanks, with the exception of also carrying a maintenance stalls officer who ran something called a creation engine nanoforge during battle. It was a monster. How much do one of these cost? Akrit asked, his mind boggling as he was seeing. 
roughly 225 million Terran credits, mostly the resource shipments, creation of parts, assembly, not as expensive as, say, the Hercules-class war titan, but still expensive, the Major said. Akrit closed his eyes for a moment. If there was what the Terran military was going to feel to help to defend the planet, his tanks, even the heaviest ones, would be no more than litter in front of the treads. Just the corona from the massive cannon passage would be shred his tank armor. Insanely, their main gun could even hurt other tanks, shoot in near orbit, and maybe even hit a target in orbital approach. Hi, most, the idlers he asked. A moment, Akrit said. He thought quickly, had not denigrated his men or his vehicles, just stated that there was a problem and that was insanely obvious to accrete the minute he saw one of their hyper-expensive massive war machines. What is equivalent to my armored vehicles? Akrit asked, opening his eyes. Do not be afraid to ruffle my fur. My men's lives depend on facts, not feelings. The Terran's positions shifted slightly and Akrit saw a couple of subtle nods, which the Terrans used to slight a scent. Light attack craft primarily scouting and reconnaissance, the LTC said. Agreed thought about what he had read and witnessed looking at the V-Core, old metals records. He held up his hand for patience and closed his eyes. He looked for and found the Cav Scouts, the third armor, and looked at the battle honors. Hundreds of them. He chose a battle at random and then let it play out and fast forward in his mind. His implant heated with the amount of data and he shut down the link. Cavalry scout is an honored and risky duty that is often decides the order of battle, Akrit said, drawing himself up in pride. My metal will be pleased to assist in such a manner. The gathered up Terrans all nodded and he could see a gleam of respect in their eyes. Akrit knew why. He'd seen the casualties, but he'd also seen how vitally important they were. War is not a place for pride. If one believes they are willing to pay any cost for victory, Akrit thought to himself. I will not sacrifice my men for my own pride. The precursor munitions will not be stopped by a commander's pride, only the application of metal. He waved the tank specks away. Come, gentle beings, let us plan. Third Armor Division, Heavy Metal Memo. Local forces have agreed to act as light scout cav scout forces. Commander has an excellent ability to integrate new tactics into his skill set and does not react with pride when defeated in simulations. His heavy armor units are equivalent to light scout vehicles. We'll be integrating his forces with the third armor. Third Cascom is currently refitting their units to acceptable specifications while retaining existing abilities so as to not erode crew skill levels. Nothing follows. Third Cascom, Old Metal, Memo. Local vehicles are in need of computer upgrade, VI upgrade, weapon upgrade, ablative armor upgrade, and powertrain upgrade. I'm consulting with local commanders on comparable with comparable tech levels. The vehicles may be soft metal, but the crews are experienced and willing. Nothing follows. System Highmost Orders Armored Highmost Accrete, you are to ensure that unified military forces are retaining command of all units in the area of operations. Unified Intelligence Council and Unified Corporate Council both believe that the Terrans are overestimating and overstating the level of technology at their military's abilities. Do not let these aliens displace you from your honor command of heavy armor in the name of the Unified Military Forces and the Kestimat Corporation. Kestimat Corporation Memo Accrete, remember who holds your contract and who gives you your orders. 108th Military Intelligence, all units, all commanders, imp presence detected in all crowd, 
Attack imminent. Attack imminent. Attack imminent. Nothing follows. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.